Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, everyone. This is Raul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. And welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Darius, good to get you back, my friend. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. You know, our last interview, I think a lot of people found it really interesting. You've got a very different perspective because you're in Asia, you're making markets and all of this stuff, you're seeing all the flow. Just give people a bit of your background first so they understand what it is that you do. Yeah, so my background, I started my career at a hedge fund in Asia called Diamond Asia and uh, was a macro trader there. Uh, I was there for four years. And after that, I was uh, with BNP Paribas in Singapore and New York. Uh, in New York, I was managing the Asia FX uh, and rates desk there. Um, started doing crypto uh, while I was at BNP. Back then, was just doing arbitrage. Didn't need to know what, what Bitcoin was, just needed to know there was a price differential. At some point, it didn't make sense uh, any longer to stay at the bank, you know, because the economics favored the crypto side. Uh, started QCP Capital in 2017. We started off as a two-man prop shop. Today, you know, we are an eight, almost 80-man team across our entities. Um, 80? Yeah. So uh, we've wow. expanded quite a lot since we uh, last spoke. Uh, you know, we're almost 80 people across the various entities. We do uh, crypto spot flow trading, uh, OTC trading globally with a big focus on Asia. We are one of the largest uh, derivatives and options desks, for, desks globally for crypto. And we've been increasing a lot on the venture side as well. So, you know, we've been actively investing in various projects, uh, especially in DeFi, Play to Earn, and especially recently in uh, structured products on DeFi. So, yeah, that's us in a nutshell. There's a lot going on in crypto markets like now. I'd love to hear your perspective. We'll, we'll talk about some of the other stuff like the DeFi option bolts and stuff like that. But first, I just want to hear flows, what's going on, why the network isn't growing, what you you know, just any contextual information that you're seeing because you're at the epicenter of that whole region. No, I mean, as much as the market, you know, there's been a lot of people saying that uh, it's a bear market, you know, uh, markets are not looking great. On our end, you know, uh, the market keeps growing, right? You know, we were, last year we traded more than 22 yards uh, in option notional. I mean, I was joking with my guys and at some points, you know, the trades were getting so large that we were looking at some of our, our client uh, portfolios. And I was looking at the Greeks and I was like, the Vega, the, the exposure, the Vega, the data. The last time I saw these kind of numbers uh, was back when I was in Diamond, right? When, you know, looking at, looking at the... Uh, and Diamond was one of the one of the world's largest dollar yen books, you know, for example, in, in options. And I was saying that uh, these books look comparable, if not bigger, than some of than than back back then in the FX FX world, right? The growth in the derivatives and option space has been exponential. Last year was a huge one, right? Started seeing a lot more institutional participation. Um, started seeing a lot more uh, uh, improvements in terms of in- infrastructure innovations. So. You know, as much as the 
markets haven't been performing as well. Um, I think there's there's a huge amount of growth, and I think especially in the VC space as well. You know, you're starting to see a lot of these billion dollar, multi billion dollar VC funds. It doesn't feel like a bear market to us, uh, even though the prices might might sort of suggest that. Um, so yeah, a lot of growth actually. Options have been the big thing last year, right? The rise of the option market, um, even outside of the Ral Pal effect in ETH, which looks like it was the kiss of death, right? The yeah, total yeah, kiss yeah. of death yeah. for that trade. <laughs> but uh, that's the good. That's the beauty of options. Are we seeing retail in options as well. Where are you seeing options develop to see all of these volumes? It's hedge funds, retail. What are you saying? So, I mean, platform-wise, there hasn't been much difference since the last time we spoke. Derabit still, dom- right. still dominates the uh, the market. So, it's not been easy for retail to participate. If a retail guy wants to onboard with us, for example, with QCP to trade options, they need to be an accredited investor. They need to have a, at least a couple hundred thousand dollars to start trading options. You know, it doesn't make sense. Um, they could go to Derabit, but a retail guy can go to Derabit, look, look there, and, you know, there are a thousand different contracts. You don't know where to start. So, and then, you know, there have been some apps that have appeared that allow people to trade options, but those haven't taken off. The retail participation has really come through the DeFi options vaults. Because what you have with these vaults is, you know, you plug in your MetaMask. Talk me through all of this. You sent me a whole piece on it. Sounds really interesting. I don't think a lot of people are aware of what this are. So, so talk us through it. So, I mean, the first one that, that appeared was Ribbon. And when I looked at it at first, I didn't understand it well enough. I, I sort of di- dismissed it. But later, you know, when they started to have TVL come in, took a closer look, had a chat with the with the guys who run it. Two young young Malaysian boys who live in Singapore, right? Uh, not option traders. They were from Coinbase. They were devs. You know, uh, they, all they know is the tech. Uh, but now now they are very more, much more knowledgeable on option, options, of course. But basically, it's this, right? Options trading is not a simple activity, especially for DeFi users, because DeFi users are more used to just taking the assets, going to a protocol, stake it there, get the return. While, while options had very good yield and you know uh, offers much a much more different experience and return profile, it's it's tricky. You know, you got to onboard with Deribit, you got to onboard with OTC guy, you have to go and you know do all, all, all the, the whole the whole works, right? But what this uh, vaults did was they created a set strategy. So let's say you have a either a 25 delta call selling vault for Bitcoin or you have a 25 delta put selling vault for, for Ether and it's one week, you know, it's a set strategy. You can backtest the strategy if you want as well, right? And they do backtest for you to show you the results. And it makes it simple for you. you. You see that strategy, you like it, all you do is you stick your dollars, your stable coins or your coin in the vault and the vault executes the strategy for you. So the vault will then take those assets, uh, go to market makers, get prices uh, and, and execute. And it's all on-chain, right? Or rather, the parts that need to be on-chain, the parts that need to be trustless are on-chain. So the investment, the collateral management, um, the price discovery, and the settlement are all on-chain. And then the parts that need to be off-chain, such as the risk management, so the market makers take on the risk, put it into the books of the rest of the Greeks, that's done off-chain, right? Um, but everything else is trustless. The users put the assets in the vault, the vault sells it to the market maker. Market maker pays a premium up front. Bam, it's done. It's an elegant solution to options trading for retail. You don't have to mess around with anything else. And the beauty of this is that uh, you don't have to deal with liquidations. You don't have to deal with uh, margining. It's all fully collateralized. Um, the market makers buy it. You know, they just pay the premiums. And if the option is in the money, they can collect the PL. So, very uncomplicated. The beauty of it is in the simplicity for both the user and the market maker. 
talk me through the user experience of this. What are they getting? What are, what are they investing in? It's a yield play or what? Talk me through it. So, I mean, if you compare it with the current DeFi landscape, which is, you know, you, uh, which all the, which have most, uh, mostly linear products, right? So it's either AMM or it's some kind of borrowing lending protocol. You stick your assets there, you get a, a base yield of maybe high single digit, you know, low double digit. And then the rest of the rewards, you get it from token distribution. So that, that's the current user experience for DeFi. With the options vaults, you stick your stuff in the vaults. The first layer of return or yield is the option premium. That goes anywhere from 20% to 150%, depending on the asset and the volatility and the strategy. So you get one layer of yield from the option premium. So you're, they're selling programmatically, let's say one week, 25 deltas or whatever the, exactly. whatever the strategy is. Exactly. And, and what happens if those options are in the money? Yeah, if they're in the money, you know, it depends on whether it's physically settled or cash settled. You know, cash settled, you pay the difference between the strike and the, and the, uh, the, strike and the settlement price. If it's physically settled, you just swap your dollars for coin or your coin for dollars. Back to the yield layers, you have a first layer of yield where it's 20 to 150%, which is already higher than the base yield of, of a normal uh, DeFi strategy. The second layer, then you get the staking returns. So the collateral that's in the vaults can be staked in the various, you know, the, 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 in the various staking mechanisms. So you get a second staking layer as well that goes anywhere, I guess, anywhere from 5 to 10%, maybe even higher, 5 to 15%. And then the third layer, then you get the, the uh, token rewards from the protocol as well. So you have three layers of yield, right? And it's extremely appealing to, to, uh, to users because this is the highest yield you can get in the space. Um, because you have the token distribution from the usual uh, um, DeFi, DeFi protocols, but you get option premium and you get the staking yield as well. And the good thing about this is that it's not dependent on the protocol price, protocol token price, because a lot of these, uh, a lot of the DeFi protocols is very dependent on the price, as you know, right? You know, it's an inflationary thing to be giving out tokens. In this case, the yield is not insular, it's external. You're effectively monetizing the, the, the volatility of the underlying asset. You get this kind of levels of yield, whether or not the market goes sideways or higher or lower, it doesn't matter, right? Um, it's not dependent on the token price. So it, it's a bit more sustainable in that sense. And these are not delta hedge. These are directional. So it's kind of, it's covered calls, covered puts kind of idea. Exactly. So right now it's covered calls and covered puts, very simple, usually one to two week tenors. But I think as, as time progresses, you get more sophisticated strategies, right? You get spreads, you get calendars, condors, and, and, and all kinds of various activities. And we're starting to see some, some of these protocols start to price exotics as well. Uh, European barriers and, and whatnot. So I think the evolution is really just start getting started. Um, and this also then evolves into a option trading market on DeFi. Because, you know, previously, a lot of the option, DeFi option protocols, you know, the issue with that is always liquidations. Liquidations for options are not easy, right? Uh, you know, they have usually, if a big, if a big portfolio gets liquidated, uh, what you have is, you know, they will square off your delta in the, in the perpetual swaps. And then it takes time for them to farm out the various Greeks to square up the book. How do you do this in DeFi? Uh, you don't have an intermediary to do all that. Um, it's a very clunky process. So what you have here is you have the vaults that are fully collateralized. You can then tokenize these contracts on the vaults. You tokenize these contracts in the vaults. They can then be traded freely without need for liquidation. Um, and that's, that's the vision of the vaults, right? It develops in terms of sophistication of the products. It develops in terms of tokenization of the contracts, AMMs on those. And then bit by bit, you get a, 
you get a option, a full option trading market on DeFi. And I think, uh, you know, that's something that I'm looking forward to. Super interesting. And what kind of blended return do people get, you think? Because, you know, it looks like a lots of returns, but cover call strategies, you know, you obviously get your position taken away, et cetera, or called away from you. What do you think the blended return is? I mean, are people making 10%, 15%? Well, I think, you, think? Uh, you know, I, from, from the experience so far, I think we've been trading this for the last couple of months. We've only had a very few occasions where the uh, options get in the money, right? Only on the very significant crashes because the tenors of these are very short, tend to be one week, two week, and the deltas tend to be quite low as well. And the implied trade so high over-realized, I guess. Exactly, exactly. You know, I've been seeing on Twitter, some, some guys talk about these DeFi options vaults and they say, yeah, you know, this is just a way for market makers to get free, you know, cheap options and, and rate retail, right? But the fact is, uh, there's so much, there's so much gamma and, and theta on my books, right? It's been difficult to monetize some of these flows, especially with vaults dropping. So I'm absolutely sure that this is adding value to retail because I'm struggling to, 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 to make, to make money. <laughs> yeah. If I'm struggling to make money on this, I'm pretty sure they're making money on this, right? So it's adding value because, uh, this is options is something that has never, or crypto options is, is something that's never been easily available to retail, but today it is. Uh, and I'm very bullish on this because you know, you don't see this in other markets as well. Uh, options being easily so available to retail. Um, you, no. yeah, and, and the TVL from the TVL is start, this, this whole thing only started in April last year. The TVL has gone from zero to a billion dollars, uh, in, in, in this span of time. And, uh, it continues to grow larger as well. What are some of the other vaults? You mentioned Ribbon. Who else is so out there? Ribbon, Ribbon was the at? first one, uh, and they remain the biggest, yeah. the biggest vault as well. There's a Theta Nuts. Theta Nuts is one that has a cross-chain capability. They're built on nine, ten different chains. These products are existing on Solana and other... Isn't, so we're not just now just in the Bitcoin and ETH option oh, world no, now. not at all. Uh, it's on AVEX. It's on Polygon. It's on uh, Solana. It's on many different chains, right? It's, it's, it's a jumpstart, that whole cross-chain thing. So, you know, it's available to any, many, many uh, layer one communities who want to participate. And of course, they've been getting a lot of support from different chains as well. And I think that will continue to happen as well, right? Um, so you have Theta Nuts. They are mostly cross-chain and they have the widest range of uh, assets. Uh, they, have Algor- they have Algo Token, AVEX, they have uh, Luna, uh, Boba, uh, you know, and, and I think they have a whole long waiting list you know, of, of, of coins that want to open these vaults. So the, so the one interesting thing about this is that it has actually jump-started and kick-started the altcoin option market. So yeah, be, that's yeah, right, because it didn't exist. It didn't exist all. before. It didn't exist before. Because for an option market to exist before this, it has to be listed by Deribit, right? And it's a chicken and egg thing because Deribit will be like, I don't want to list this if no one's going to trade on it. So then it never happens. Uh, but what you have now is it jumpstarts the market because, um, you know, we spent years talking to the various, you know, foundations and core teams and saying that, you know, why don't you use your treasury to create an option market? It's not easy to understand. So, you know, I, 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 we were banging our head against the wall trying to explain this. But when we went to the foundations and these guys and we said that there is a DeFi play where you can also create an option market and you can give, you can provide a source of yield to your community for all these latent tokens that are not being used right now. You create a new source of yield. They're like, please, you know, take my money. We happily see the vault. Uh, happily, happily jumpstart the option market. And that's what we've, we've been seeing, right? We've been seeing this demand flow into OTC and, and, and C5, right? So, for example, we created the, uh, the Algorand Foundation seeded a, a $10 million option vault. So we started buying all these Algo options. 
And then, you know, we, we started to farm it out to the various OTC guys. We we're like, hey, you know, we are X to, we are X to, uh, to, to sell Algovol. And then these guys started buying all, buying up Algovol, you know, so, and then, and then you, you start seeing activity that you never seen before in the OTC market. Uh, and then their bit starts paying attention as well. They're like, this is a perfect test, test bit for us because we will be able to see which tokens, if I list them, if I list options on them, which ones will have critical uh, size to trade. Um, and Deribit, for example, has invested in Titanuts. Uh, it's probably their first DeFi investment because they don't see it as a DeFi punting play. They see the option vaults as an expansion of crypto options and they see the value to them as well. So for example, the other vaults, we have uh, a whole suite of Solana, uh, Solana uh, DeFi options vaults, Friction, Katana, Tap Finance, Chess Finance. It's proven to Deribit that if they launch Solana, they have at least a $300 million market running every week uh, because the Solana, the Solana vaults have taken up, you know, the TVR there has gone up very quickly. So, you know, it, you can see how they all bounce off each other. So, you know, you have centralized exchanges like Deribit, you have OTC, you have DeFi. The liquidity is circular and the whole is bigger than the sum of parts. It's incredible how fast this space is maturing and innovating, right? Incredible. Because this, uh, I mean, the default options vaults look, look yeah. like, you know, I was in the equity derivative market from 1990 to, you know, even when I was trading at a hedge fund to, let's say, 2004. And the innovation in that whole period is less than we're seeing in one year in this space. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like it's almost a lifetime ago since I spoke to you, right? In terms of the, the things that have happened, right? Uh, the amounts that have, the amounts that are being traded, the, the new features, and even going forward, the new features that are being planned out, right? And with this DeFi options vaults, it's particularly interesting for me because it's a confluence of traditional finance and DeFi. Meaning that, you know, a traditional finance hedge fund guy looks at DeFi. I'm sure, I'm sure you've had these conversations before. They're like, what the hell is this? Is this DeFi thing? It looks like a Ponzi. And to be fair, there are elements of Ponzi-nomics in it, right? You know, you're, you're creating tokens to distribute and whatnot. So not familiar to them, right? Uh, but if they look at uh, DeFi options, the product looks and smells familiar to them because it's options. They understand it. Um, so, you know, uh, we've had interest from very TradFi guys uh, in the DeFi options vaults. We've, been, we've spoken to Alan Howard's team. We've spoken to like Paul Tudor Jones. You know, they, 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 they see it and they, they recognize the value there. Yeah, hedge funds. I know Alan's building this huge business out. I've got, um, I've actually just interviewed Colleen, who, who's running the whole thing. Um, She's coming, and I met Brad, who runs the North American Trading, because he lives half um, 500 meters down the road from me here. Yeah. DeFi is difficult for a lot of people still because of regulatory stuff, but are you starting to see hedge funds get into these option vaults? Oh yeah, because I'm, I'm an advisor to a lot of the vaults, and you know we we incubate a lot of the, the, the activity. There have been very active conversations between hedge funds and the vaults, but of course they would rather be on the buy side of the options rather than the sell side, you know, due to collateral efficiency. Um, they want you to be the, sell the seller of the option. <laughs> exactly, right. So hedge funds, for sure, they've been talking to the, the vaults, trying to understand how it works. Uh, I've got many calls and these guys are trying to, trying to ask me how it works and how they can get involved. Uh, they're very excited to get involved. And more interestingly enough, not just hedge funds, we're talking about the regulators and the banks. So we've had conversations with regulators and banks Banks who want to get involved in this, in, uh, in, the, in the DeFi, not just options, but DeFi structured product space. Because again, the products look familiar to them, right? Uh, boring lending looks familiar to them. Options look familiar to them. And more importantly, right, it helps with the balance sheet. Because right now, if they put, if they put crypto on their balance sheet, 
it's uh it's gonna be a bezel tree nightmare. Whereas if they have a separate operation with fully collateralized options on an on an on-chain balance sheet, that solves a lot of problems. Uh especially if the regulator comes in and sets up a permission a permission layer for DeFi, something like Aave Arc, right? Then you can have banks participating in, in these DeFi op- option protocols. So you start to see the confluence of these uh, activities. And I know for a fact that a few banks have actually co- committed to participating in structured products on DeFi. So yeah, not just the hedge funds, you know, you have uh, the whole gamut of traditional finance looking at DeFi and seeing the future there as well. And are you seeing kind of vault of vaults? So, you know, where basically a fund of funds version by, you know, diversifying risk across a whole bunch of this stuff. Are you seeing that yet? No, that's a good question. So... Uh, Theta Nuts, for example, is starting to open meta vaults because, you know, they, um, a lot of folks are a bit edgy about putting their, all the eggs in one basket, for example. That's right, because you don't really, you know, it's a very nascent market. So if you can diversify, it kind of feels like the right thing to do so when you don't know what's you're happening. You're right on the, right on the hit, the nail on the hit there. You know, there, there's the next product that's coming up. These meta vaults where you're able to put in your assets in the, in the meta vault and the meta vault will optimize and, and disperse the risk over various different vaults to, to uh, you know, sort of give you some diversification of risk on, on your option portfolio. So it becomes very easy, right? It's almost a point and click thing. You, instead of having to decide what your strategy is, you know, on, on, on their bit, you just go to the vaults, stick it there, and everything is done for you. You know, you, you get your estimated return, you get your uh, risk profile and everything as well. So it becomes easy for retail. I mean, wow. I mean, that's amazing. These products still aren't easy for retail, right? One of the things is like, you're at the center of this. So people are going to come to you when they're launching new products and thinking of stuff, right? Because you're a liquidity provider, one of the key liquidity providers in the market. How does anybody else keep on top of this pace of innovation and what's going on? How do they do it? Where do they find even information about all of this? So I've been, uh, I've been actively dragging everyone else invo- to get involved. I mean, it may- it's a bit counterintuitive, right? Meaning that if you think of it as from a market maker's perspective, you would, I would rather be the only guy bidding on the vault so I get the best prices. Um, but I don't think this... But you want the space to grow, right? Yeah, no, like all of the us, space please. needs to grow, right? So whenever, whenever we are incubating one of these vaults, uh, what I've done is I've put every single option player to get involved as well. Uh, Genesis, JSR, you know, uh, the, the rest of them, pull them to get involved to get start bidding in the vaults as well. I think, the, the, I think again, I, I am very sure, again, that the hole here is bigger than some of the parts, right? You know, we get more and more guys involved. You get more liquidity into the vaults. You pull them involved. So I think it trickles down. So, you know, I mean, I, I've been a bit of a DeFi vault evangelist, uh, you know, trying to write articles and Twitter, pulling these guys involved, incubating these projects. So I think, you know, it trickles down. You you pull the market makers in. They pull their communities in. You pull the uh, foundations, the, the community. You know, for example, Terra is a great example, right? We told Doquan about it. He liked the idea. He seeded a vault. He started tweeting. And immediately, as you know, these, uh, these communities are extremely active in terms of looking out for new projects and they get involved in the vaults as well. So, uh, it's, it's quite a, it's actually quicker, a quicker process than you think, right? The moment you pull one of these leaders in, the whole community follows. So, uh, I think, I think, you know, it, it, it spreads very, very quickly and, and these guys get, get, pick up the idea very quickly. But of course, as you rightly mentioned, options is not an easy product. You know, if you go to the discords, you still see, the points when that when, when people get the options in the money, you know, there are, there are questions like, why did, I, why did I lose money on this, you know, staking? So, so I mean, there, there is an education process involved. Uh, and I think, you know, the vaults are actively doing that as well. Final question for you. 
Um, to go back to a topic that we talked about last time that I think a lot of people found interesting is stablecoin use in Asia. How's that changing, developing? Any, what are you seeing there? Because before you talked about even corporates using it and stuff like that, which you know literally nobody had heard of until that interview. Everyone was like, oh, holy shit, didn't realize. <laughs> so what, what, are you, what are you seeing in stablecoin world? Um, that, from that conversation, it's expanded, right? So um, back then, you know, a lot of them were using dollar stablecoins doing trade finance and all that, that's still happening very actively. A lot of our clients, for example, they don't have, you know, they've probably drained their bank accounts and don't no longer have money in their bank accounts. Stable coins are the new depository. I don't have money in my bank account, right? Uh, it's all the, the stable coins are new depository. Um, that's just the retail, the, the client side. But what kind of clients are we talking there? Are we talking high net worth clients? Uh, no, I mean, even retail clients, right? Um, and people who start to put one foot in crypto, they start to realize like, why am I keeping money in the bank? It's losing me money. Every dollar I have in the bank is losing money. If I have it in my stablecoin wallet, I can put it into a staking protocol, I can take it out, I can use it for options, I can take it out, you know, I can move it around, I can, get, I can deploy it very easily. And I, I don't get any questions about, you know, why am I moving this transaction or not? I think it's increasingly becoming clear that especially for crypto people, 100%, right? Crypto people, Stablecoins is a new bank. You know, it's, it's, it's no longer, deposit, depositories are no longer relevant for crypto people. And I think that starts to trickle down outside as well. In the Asia, Southeast Asian countries, we are seeing banks start to get involved in stablecoins. In Singapore, for example, there's been a lot of talks about, you know, these CBDCs, but that is still slow moving, but they are already doing it. I've been involved with talks with like MAS, you know, RBNZ, the Malaysian Authority, Australian Authority. They're trying to, they try, they, to them, I think they see uh, stable coins as a future of settlement. I think that's that's become yeah. very clear to the regulator, right? Um, the question is how they're going to do it. Well, on the ground, we are seeing private banks get involved in stable coin. Indonesia is a very good example, right? Uh, the last time I talked to you, we were all talking about dollar stable coins. Now there is uh, there are, there are five, four or five different Indonesian rupiah stable coins, and the banks are settling with that, right? The banks exchanges. Really? So they're using it as their settlement layer so they don't need to use the clunky banking layer? Exactly, right. Exactly, exactly that. You know, uh, the banks are talking about, they want to launch their own stable coins uh, and they're working with exchanges to have the stable coin currency transaction fungible, right? You know, I'm moving them out, moving them out, easy. So I think the line between fiat in digital format with banks and stable coins is blurring. So, you know, as the, as the banks start to be part to participate, Digital fiat and stablecoin become synonymous. So uh, the process becomes a lot less painful and money flow becomes a lot quicker and easier as well. And people like Singapore, I remember speaking to Sopnendu Mahadzi um, of the MAS, and they don't seem to be concerned that there's private sector and state sector both doing similar things. It's like, yeah, it's all part of the same ecosystem. Exactly. Is that, yeah. is that what you're picking up as well? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I was in a conversation with, with uh, Sopnendu and a few of the, others, the other central banks, and I said that, you know, why, why is there even a need to launch a sovereign stablecoin? As long as a private stablecoin issuer issues one and the regulator blesses that and says that, you know, they are following all the procedures, effectively it becomes the same as fiat, right? And, uh, and they agreed, right? They agreed that it's actually probably more effective because, uh, you know, it's not as clunky. You know, these guys move faster, they issue it, and there's economic incentive, of course. Um, so I think, I think they can exist very easily beside each other, um, especially if they're interoperable. 
Yeah, and all the central banks want is to own the on-ramp and off-ramp to the fiat world, so they kind of know where the flow of capital is going. Once they know that, they're, they're pretty comfortable, right? Exactly, exactly. In fact, I mean, my, my own conspiracy theory is that the whole, uh, you know, China ban was because China was being, was, was feeling threatened that they wouldn't be able to, to, uh, disperse or proliferate their digital yuan as quickly if, if there were competing stable coins, right? Or rather, in this case, I think specifically a competing US dollar stable coin. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the stable coins, sovereigns, privately issued, very interoperable. In fact, to your point, right? It's easily traceable by the bankers, by the, by the regulator as well, even whether it's private or not. So no issue, I think, whatsoever. Now, my conspiracy theory on the China one is, is similar to yours. I think they wanted to know, launch the, the, the CBDC, therefore capture every dollar at one fixed place, every unit of currency at one fixed place in time, which is launch of currency. Everybody has to onboard with it. Then you can reopen crypto and you can trace the money all the way through. Exactly, that, yeah. you know, that feels like to me what they're doing here is they want to pause, say time out. We just want to take a total stock of our money because we've got leakages everywhere. This way we can keep control of our leakages and then you're free to do what you want. Yeah. I'm not sure whether that's the most efficient way, uh, but you know, China being China, uh, as long as it works for them, it works for them. I think, I think you're probably right as well. Listen, Darius, thank you for your time. Super interesting. I know you've got a busy option expiry day, so I'll, <laughs> thank you. I'll let you go back. Yeah, thanks for keeping us informed on this. It's super interesting. No worries. Happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, my friend. Take care. Thank you. I always love sitting down with Darius Sit to chat about markets. You see, Darius is my go-to man in Asia. His firm QCP liquidity providers to a lot of the Asian flows in crypto. And Asia is, frankly, the biggest market there is, and we really need to understand what goes on over there. And what you learn from this interview is how advanced Asia is, particularly in their use of options to create yields and other strategies, things like option vaults, truly extraordinary stuff, and they're much further ahead than most of us are in the Western markets. And I think we can learn a lot from how they are becoming more and more sophisticated in their use of derivatives. You see, derivatives are a new market, really, in crypto for many of us. But it's going to be a bigger part of our lives. So it's definitely worth spending your time listening to Darius and I chat about the future of options and derivatives in the crypto markets. Hi, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, just about everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital asset video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 220,000 members understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And Real Vision Crypto is completely free. To get your free membership to Real Vision Crypto, please visit www.realvisioncrypto.com. That's www.realvisioncrypto.com.